Welcome back to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. Using the backup camera is cheating. Use those mirrors. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. And you, listener, as always, are the driver. Check those blind spots and let's go. from Walt Whitman. Be curious, not judgmental. Last week, we covered a lot of miles. We were looking at all the internal stuff that motivates us to do the things we do. It's so easy for others to read our behaviors as far more sinister than they are. That's because it's easy to assume we know what motivates others. You know, Ben, uh, just yesterday, your mama and I were heading over to Durham and we were going to vote on the way And there are two possible voting stations, one that goes north and one that would have gone west. We needed to go in both directions. Mama was thinking north and I was thinking west. When I started to drive toward the west, she assumed I was going the wrong way and rapidly interrupted me saying, no, 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 go straight here, which I did (laughs) because she said so. And that's an example of assumptions that happened. She had in her mind a direction we were going assumed that I would have the same one, and we miscommunicated. That turned into a pretty big joke when I said, well, I was going to go to this one over here, and she said, you know what, that's probably a better choice, and we were able to find our way through it. Kind of an easy deal around how assumptions work in a relationship. Is that also an example of the difference between intent and effect that we're talking about this episode? Um, Yes, because assumptions... Imagine that you know the intent of someone's activity, and really all we can know is their effect. The intent has to do with all the stuff we talked about last time, right? So um, attitude and behavior, emotion, cognition, all that kind of stuff. All of those things are what happens inside of us, and no one can really know what those things are. Uh, As a matter of fact, an example of the difference between intent and effect comes from a quote from Stephen M. R. Covey, who's the son of Stephen R. Covey, the famous uh, author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And uh, this Stephen said, we judge ourselves by our intention and others by their behavior. That's the example of the difference between intent and effect. And what we really need to be responsible for in our most important relationships is the effect of our behaviors on others. So mama didn't really want to have an effect of me jerking the car, which is kind of what I did. Um, but that was the effect because I want to follow her lead. She knows things and I, uh, you know, she's my navigator most of the time. And you don't and, know anything. No, I, it's, it's the level of trust that I have in her. Uh, I only don't know anything when you're in the car. Dang right. <laughs> but there it is. And you can't find the navigation buttons. Hey, listen, I follow the GPS. Just saying. Uh, Yeah, you let the GPS talk to you. Mama never lets the GPS talk to us. In any case, most of the time when someone reacts to us in a way that we didn't intend, we return with defensiveness, explanations, and justifying. As a matter of fact, this is so common in interaction that people have coined a word called dexifying, defending, explaining, and justifying. And it's around the idea that because I intended something good, but you experienced something bad, 
it's not really my fault because my intent was positive. But it is your fault. It's my responsibility. Mm, Different. That's true. Right. So I did intend something. Somehow I didn't convey it. And I need to discover what are the attributes the other person had about whatever I was doing that made whatever I was trying to do land badly. And they need to share with me how they're filtering what I'm trying to share so that it doesn't land as badly. But a lot of times the way this plays out is people blame each other or they find fault and it becomes a really negative interaction. It's hard to get past those initial negative emotions, especially when the effect, if, if you are the one receiving whatever this action is and you have this negative experience, negative effect. Kim, can you talk a little bit about some of those things and maybe some ways to get around them? Yeah. Fault and blame and all of those other attributions that you were talking about are really kind of these major roadblocks in your relationship. They immediately halt you from connecting to the other person, from being able to explore what's really happening. It takes a lot of personal responsibility and introspection to really fight through that that dynamic on your own, right? So dexifying and putting up the your hands and saying, no, that's not what I meant. You're taking this the wrong way. This is all on you. And pausing and looking back at yourself and saying, well, when I said that, what was I really trying to say? Are these the words that I wanted to use? Is that the tone I wanted to use? Is that my body language showing all of these things that I'm trying to communicate to this other person? And are they congruent enough that when I sent the message, would that be received the way I want it to? Uh, There's a difference between saying, I love you very gently and yelling, I love you, which that sounded really excited, but you know. (laughs) I mean, those are different. They come across differently. Yeah. And even more differently, I love you. Yikes. Mm. That's how I feel about you. I know. That's why I gave it back to you. I question myself on whether I love you or not. Yeah, that's right. These blood relationships aren't holding up. Nope. Uh, they get confusing around payroll time, you know? <laughs> so very true. <laughs> All right. So let's say the the speaker, we'll call them the speaker, is the person who is taking this action and the listener is the one receiving that. Mm-hmm. And the intent of the speaker is positive, but the effect on the listener is negative. That's sort of the situation we're talking about. Yep. Kind of very broadly. And so if the speaker has a positive intent, but the effect on the listener is negative, we're saying it's the speaker's responsibility to take action and figure out where was that lost. To check in. So it's to check in with the listener and say, you're responding in a way I didn't expect. I, I don't think I sent the correct message. Can I try again? Right. And checking in with the listener about you're responding in a way I, I didn't expect you to do so. And I'm confused as to what got lost. Uh, let me retrack and try again with communicating what's happening. What was your experience of the words I said, your experience of my body language, and checking with the listener for what's happening on their end, and then paying attention to personal responsibility on your side and the dynamic between the two. And then the listener is 
their responsibility is around looking into themselves for why they reacted that way, why it was a negative experience for them. What, what did they attribute to what they heard or experienced that was negative? Yes. And they also need to check out with the speaker if the meaning they're gleaning from whatever has been said is the meaning that was intended by the speaker. So speaker says, blah, 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 blah. And the listener goes, huh, that doesn't sound right. Did you mean blah, blah, blah? <laughs> right? And the, then the speaker goes, oh, that was, that was not anything close to what I intended. Let me try again. So it's, it's an iterative process back and forth. Both people have responsibility. If I hear whatever you're trying to say negatively, my job with goodwill is to look at you and say, you're trying the best you can, but it didn't land right. I need to tell you that. I need to confide that to you. Your job is with positive intent to listen to that feedback and then recalibrate how you're sending the message. I feel like what you're describing is reasonable discourse amongst two humans. And that never happens. That's correct. So (laughs) I guess my question is, why does that never happen? Could it ever happen? I mean, I love these examples, but like nobody talks like this. So yes, it can happen. It just takes active time of learning. And you'll see this in relationships that have grown closer. So parents, uh, siblings, if you actively work on these skills, it's hard to do with just anybody. If I am having an argument with a friend who I'm not particularly close with, the likelihood of them engaging in this type of discourse is pretty slim. But if I'm talking to Don or I'm talking to you, Ben, and I'm able to say something and you kind of give me a weird look, I know your facial expressions well enough to pause and look at you and say, hey, I don't think that hit right. What did you hear? And to check in with you, uh, which is my personal responsibility. And that's what I choose to do when I'm talking with someone and feeling like my message didn't get across is to pause and say that that looks like you heard something else. What did you hear? Because I don't know that that's what I intended. And this all works really well. I mean, you really have to care about the other person. Yes. Pretty deeply, I think, for for this kind of discourse. I mean, it really needs to... I can see it absolutely with significant other, with family members that you care about. But even with family members that you're a little less close to, I feel that it would be pretty hard to have this level of discourse. I mean, this involves a lot of trust. We've talked about that before. This involves... A lot of understanding your own motivations and being able to communicate those clearly and navigate your own emotions. I mean, this is, again, this is great. And I, I just struggle to see it playing out in anything beyond like a very close relationship. Is it possible to build this up, say with a coworker or a boss or even a stranger? I mean, you'd have to really spend time with them, right? Yes, you would need to spend time with them. But most importantly, you would have to decide that this was an important behavior you want to engage in. So if you make it a a point to be aware of your emotions and to manage your emotions and to care about every human being that you interact with, you can increase the probability that you will interact in a way that is emotionally literate and intelligent. And those are two different things. Emotional literacy is different than emotional intelligence. Emotional literacy means that I have a a vocabulary, a syntax, and a grammar for describing my emotions. 
And emotional intelligence is I know when and how to apply those emotional skills in any interaction with another person. Now, this kind of interaction is not necessarily needed when you know, you're telling the cabbie where you want to go or you're ordering your dinner from the server. No, honestly, I'm thinking more like online discussions and stuff that are infamous for breaking down into just terrible, terrible, hateful speech. And I, I would love to apply this kind of thing to those environments, but it seems like it probably doesn't work out very well because you don't have that connection with the person. And you don't have the intent necessarily on the other side. Right. They may not actually want to listen to your point of view or be vulnerable to being influenced by your point of view, because that's the other thing that's important in this level of conversation, is I want to be influenced by your experience in the world. It's vulnerable from both ends. Both yes. parties need to be willing to be influenced by yeah. the other. And this is where the best solutions to any problem are going to come from. I guess I'm just feeling very cynical today. Well, I mean, it, it, this is actually, you're not you're not wrong at all. This is a really hard way of being in the world. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm wrong. It's just, it's, I wish that this would happen all the time. You know, it would be so great if we could all have, and it would be exhausting also because this is very hard to do. Sure. So you, really, you truly cannot do this with every relationship in your life. But the more, as you said, the more you on your end can at least bring the intention of being open to being influenced and really understanding where the other person that you're talking to is coming from and bringing the emotional intelligence, the emotional literacy, and it just all of that to the table, the better off you're going to be sure. with all the relationships in your life. And communication is really hard. Yeah. Again, the way I interpret a set of words may be different than the way you interpret a set of words. One of my favorite quotes around this is from Alan Greenspan. Do you all remember Alan Greenspan? No. No. He... he managed our finances for the entire country for a very long time. Okay. And he said, I know you think you understand what you thought I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. Hmm. Puzzle on that one for a little while. Yeah, you might have to... Uh, so let me break it down Rewind for a bit and listen to it again. It, it's a really important one because sometimes when we're talking, we're not even clear about what we mean. We're not even clear about the intent of the communication that's coming across. That clarity doesn't happen until we see the response from the other person. And it requires sometimes a couple of iterations to get to the point where both people go, oh, yeah, that's what we collectively mean. Cool. I still feel like a lot of the times the speaker isn't going to approach this with a gentle curiosity or a willingness to change their opinion. And they're just going to double down on how they feel and really not listen to the person that they are affecting. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and what you're describing brings you to an impasse. That's the end of communication between you and someone else. You're stuck in a cycle of bullying where this is my opinion, you're not gonna change it, and I told you this, it's your fault that you're not receiving that. Uh, and it becomes a blame, and again, we talked about that earlier, but you can't force submission upon someone else. That, that's not how that works. And it shuts down the line of communication. Your message does not get across at all. The second half of this is pretty nuanced, actually. So, so I mean, all of those, the bullying, the blame, it shuts down the communication. You're no longer going to be able to have an effective conversation with this person. 
you as the speaker or them as the listener, neither of you are really listening or conveying meaning to each other. So does that mean that the listener is in control of the meaning of what the speaker is saying because they get to say, hey, that had a negative effect on me and like, I don't believe you. I don't want to listen to what you have to say. No, it does not mean that the listener is in control of the meaning. What it does mean is that whenever you're in communication with someone else, it is a co-created meaning. The listener has to be flexible enough to say, all right, the first meaning I derived from what you said isn't the right one. I'm going to let go of that. And the speaker has to be flexible enough to say, the meaning I was trying to get across didn't land. And so let go of the way they tried to send it and then try again to send the message. That's the cooperative way that I would hope folks would move towards. That's the more emotionally literate, more emotionally intelligent way. Uh, the other way, though, is this, this block that says you just have to get it the way I'm saying it. Uh, I can't step back and say it in a different way. I can't explore another way of understanding this with you. But if you have gentle curiosity, right, and if you have the desire to really understand how another person experiences the world, you can get past most of these impasses. You can build a bridge that lets you see the world through the experiential eyes of your partner. Or anybody else, or just your partner. Well, I was thinking about partner, but you're right. It could be anyone else that you actually care about. As a matter of fact, if you want to be the most powerful influencer in your work world, the first thing to do is use this skill to understand what people really mean and what they really intend. They'll tell you if you create the space for it. And when you offer an idea about how to deal with whatever situation that you want to influence, if you incorporate what their needs and wants are from the meaning you've derived from their communication, you will be one of the strongest influencers around. How do you make sure that you're demonstrating that understanding and caring? Um, I think that also helps, again, build trust. So in the case of being an influencer in an office environment, or maybe a, maybe you're a supervisor, maybe you're just a coworker, and you're all trying to create a project together, and you're going around finding out what people's needs and wants are to try and bring this all together and really address those. I think that is a way to demonstrate understanding and caring, but how else can you show that? Hold tight. The mechanic has got this. It's a really cool tool called validation. It has six basic steps. The first one is to show up, to be present with someone, to be open and willing to have this communication, to hear what they have to say and express yourself, right? So being present with them. Don't they both have to show up? Or is it really just on your end? You're the only person you can control. You got me there. All right, step two. <laughs> step two is to reflect back the content of what someone else has said to you. And do it in a way that you're sharing what's happening in your head. So, Don, tell me a thing. So, Mama and I got to go interview an architect yesterday because uh, we're thinking about making some renovations in the house. And as usual, Mama is very anxious about spending money while she is also really excited about the idea of changing the house. So it was really interesting um, to hear her go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between excitement and, and panic about spending money and trying to just stay with her while we were driving from Durham for 30 minutes. Wow. So it sounds like you had a really exciting day the other day with Mama. And 
getting to experience her excitement and her fear about this pending change in your life and the physical and emotional changes that are coming in in the near future and getting to experience that with mama based on your your facial expressions looked like you had a lot of fun well i I enjoy it and i know that she's got to go through her process for, for all of this and that includes going back and forth between these emotions wow just like a mirror wow did you check the mirrors I'm watching the mirrors right now. Oh, all right. As long as it's not the backup cam. (laughs) No backup cams here. We do not have a backup cam. So step one, show up. Step two, be the mirror. Step three is guessing at an emotion you believe the other person is feeling as they share it with you. So I guessed excitement and actually I just guessed excitement, didn't I? Yes. I guessed the emotion of excitement with Don about his experience yesterday with Janice and I reflected it to him. I I passed that to him and he was able to share with me that I was correct, that that was a correct assumption on my part. And so I was able to confirm in my head, cool, I'm on, I'm on track with this. You are understanding each other. I am, or we are. Step four is understanding the person's point of view through the framework of their history. Knowing Don since, you know, I've known him for 27 years now. I can see the excitement in his face and that that face-to-face communication makes this way easier. Uh, and knowing that he enjoys seeing Janice's growth in all of these things and her bounce back and forth from I'm excited and oh gosh, what's going to happen and how do I plan for this? And knowing that it brings him joy, I'm able to see his story through that framework of my history with him. It's not only your history with me, which is absolutely correct, but it's also knowing my history, my approach to money, my approach to change, my approach to all of those things. So this feels like a step that's a little bit limited by your relationship with the person. Up till now, it's kind of like you could do this with anyone. Sure, You could choose to just show up to a person that you've met recently, maybe a stranger, and ask them something and reflect it back to them to sort of demonstrate understanding. But now we're at a step where really having more of a history or knowing that person better, not really your history with them, but their own personal history. But to that, to do that, you would have to have known them at least a little bit first. Yes. Now that's the important part. Right. So validation becomes a more and more powerful tool the longer and deeper the relationship is. Cool. That makes sense. Step five is to normalize the emotions. It makes sense that Don is excited about expanding his house, about entering this second Second, third phase of life? I don't know. I don't know either. Entering a new phase of life with his wife and exploring all of the options. And maybe there's a little bit of anxiety, nervousness about the money aspect of things. But knowing you as I do, you're excited about it because it's this cool change that you get to develop and feel out and expand in your horizons. So I'm normalizing these emotions for him in acknowledging his excitement and acknowledging the fear that he and Janice might be feeling. And that is important because you're saying like, well, that's not weird, right? Is that kind of what normalizing is? You're not acting shocked that like, oh gosh, it's weird that you're excited by that. Like, I think that's crazy because that would disconnect you. You would have less good communication. That's right. So you're accepting that and saying, hey, yeah, that makes sense. That's, I understand that. That's normal. And that helps tighten the bond between you, right? Yes. And it's even though I may not feel that way. Right. You don't have to 
feel the same, but you are expressing that you understand it. Yes, and that's key. And even if key. you don't totally understand it, I think you can express... The, the goal here is that you're you're altering your perspective a little bit, right? So you're not... This is part of the um, being open to being influenced by the listener yes. to help understand the intent and effect of your communication. You're right on point. And the final step in validation and this whole adventure is to do this process with a behavioral empathy. This is also known as radical genuineness. And it's being present with them in a way that shows that you care about their point of view, about their experience of this and what they're doing in this world. So sitting with Dawn and being excited about the changes that are coming and the house construction, which for the record, I am really excited about this, having heard several of the plans. So I'm on board here. I'm with you. Uh, but that's how validation experiences, right? So coming to a close with, I'm here with you and I'm enjoying your experience of this and learning more about your experience of this. Sweet. Let me see if I can recap these six steps. Step one, show up. You got to be there to have a conversation. Step two, be the mirror. Reflect back what you're hearing from the other person to make sure that you're understanding it as they intended it. Step three, guessing at emotions. Trying to understand the emotions behind what the person is saying. Some of their intent, their maybe their motivation. Step four, understanding the person's point of view based on their history. This requires a little bit more of a relationship with the person, so it may apply more or less depending on who you're talking to. Step five, normalizing. You want to reflect back those emotions in a way that is accepting of them without thinking they're weird. Don't think other people are weird. Unless it's me. Think I'm weird. I like being weird. And step six, do the whole thing nice. Be nice. Radically nice. Six steps of validation. All right. I think that's everything for this episode. Well, that's the validation portion of it, but we talked about a few other things too, right? We talked about intent and oh, effect. Oh, yeah. I was just moving to the summary. Did you want to do the summary? Because you told me I had to do the summary. You said it was do, my do. job. Yes. Well, it sounded like you were stopping the summary. So go no, ahead. No, I was the opening summary. the summary with a question. Oh, now I understand. Is there anything else you want to talk about? So I understand that you felt that you were opening up. So this is the other thing about communication, though, is Ben and I having been living with this type of communication our whole lives. <laughs> Suffering through. Have a natural response to be in the, oh, this again. But that's rejecting of this. This is actual true open communication. And we do it tongue in cheek because we know that Don is not going to be sassy and upset with us. Or if he is upset with us, he, he can keep it to himself. Oh, just because I changed the will now. Yeah. Well, the dogs are going to get it all. <laughs> no, Gemma. Cool. I just lost all of my thoughts. No, it's fine. We're just joking. We're joshing. You'll probably cut all that. I'll probably cut it. I might keep some of it. We'll see. So do all the right. summary. So working backwards through what we went over this episode, we talked just now about validation, which is a great way to bring genuineness to a conversation and to really deepen your understanding of another person's point of view. And we talked about the six steps involved in that. So you can really break it down and think about how are you communicating with this other person? We talked about 
reaching an impasse with someone, if you as the speaker or they as the listener refuse to change their point of view or the way they're interpreting things, you really can't communicate any further. That's a communication breakdown. And you're either going to have to walk away from that communication or find another way to try again. But if you recognize that you're not changing your opinion, that's your responsibility. And if they're not changing anything and you've tried to communicate several different ways, that's their responsibility. And there may not be anything you can do about that. We talked about responsibility, personal responsibility. Again, the only person you can change is yourself. So when you're communicating with someone, if you have a certain intent and they are not experiencing that intent, the effect is different. It's on you to at least start communicating with them about why they're not understanding your intent. And you may need to change something about what you're saying and what you're thinking in order to do that. And that requires vulnerability. We talked about casting blame and fault and other bullying behaviors that are ineffective in communication and the ways that they stop action and again create roadblocks to your communication. So avoid those if possible. And we talked more broadly about intent and effect. We talked about dexifying. Don, can you give me an, a recap of dexifying? I don't remember that one. So when, when what we intend to communicate doesn't land the way we want and we find that we've gotten an outcome we didn't intend, we tend to respond to that with dexifying, which is defending, explaining, and justifying all mashed together. And those lead to fault and blame. So we want to avoid that. We want to avoid that. We don't want to dexify. We need to be open to change. We need to approach it with genuineness. And if I deliver a message and it bounces off of you in the wrong direction, one of the things I can do as the speaker is to say, okay, that's not quite what I meant. Can I have a do-over? Can I try again? Right. And then your job as the listener is to try and erase what I just said and listen again to what I'm trying to say. Cool. That was a good episode. And that's not easy stuff. So drivers, good luck. Practice hard. You can do it. Check those blind spots. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.